In this episode of Great Practices, we're talking with Ruth Pierce, owner of Alley LLC and author of the book, Be a Project Motivator, Unlock the Secrets of Strength-Based Project Management. Listen in as we discuss why it's better to build on strengths rather than focus on weaknesses, what can be done to shore up any weaknesses that may crop up, and how to transform your PMO from an obstacle to everything to a solution for everything. Oh, and you're also going to find out why you shouldn't teach rabbits how to swim and an interesting new name for a PMO. So let's get right into this episode of Great Practices. It's hard to say when something is a best practice, but it's much easier to know when something is a great practice. And that's what this podcast is all about. Interviews with PMO and project management leaders who, through years of trial and error, have discovered their own great practices and are now sharing their insights with you. Now, sit back and enjoy the conversation as Chris Kopp uncovers another great practice in this episode. So we realize that people are kind of important when it comes to running a project management office. Uh, you need to have a inclusive, engaged, connective environment in which people can thrive in. And in order to get to that point, you've got to have the right people doing the right jobs, really, you know, sitting in the right seats, doing the right things. So where do we even start with that? How do we even assess if we've got the right people that are doing the right thing uh, at the right time? And that's what uh, we're going to talk to our guest today, who is Ruth Pierce, uh, about really assessing strengths, talking about maybe some of the weaknesses that some may have, and is it better to uh, focus on the strengths or should we work on uh, making the weaknesses less pronounced or is there some where in between that we would want to go with that? So that's what we're going to talk with Ruth Pierce today. So Ruth, welcome. And uh, we'd like to uh, just kind of have you introduce yourself a little bit. Tell us a little bit about yourself, what you do, and uh, we'll look forward to our conversation. Well, thanks very much, Chris. It's great to be here. So I am Ruth Pierce. I'm the founder and owner of Alley LLC, which is A-L-L-E, LLC. I'm going to ask a question right there. What does Alley <laughs> LLC mean? What is that? Yeah, what is so that I, I actually, um, I love to be asked this question because most people don't ask it. So it's A-L-L-E, which stands for a lever long enough, or if you're American, a lever long enough. Okay. And it comes from the Archimedes quote, and I'm paraphrasing here. Give me a lever long enough, and I will move the world. There are various versions of that. Um, Got it. Okay. Of that quote. So all of my activities fall under that company, and I was for a long time a project and program manager, and then I now predominantly coach. Very often, coaching people who are in the project management space. I particularly love to group coach because then there's the sort of cross pollination between different people who can share ideas. So there's a lot of coaching I speak. Um, I, I'm an author, all sorts of stuff. You name it, I've probably done it. I have a law degree. <laughs> wow. I was a mediator. I've, uh, I, I even learned how to do massage when I was young. So, yeah, you name it, I've done it. Okay. Well, and we're going to talk a little bit about your, your book uh, later, Be a Project Motivator, right? That's the title of the book. So we'll talk, uh -huh. we'll talk a little bit about that later. So clearly you've been around uh, project management space, right? Throughout your career. The question we like to ask our guests, first of all, is how do you even define a PMO? What's your definition of a PMO? 
I don't think you're going to like my answer, Chris. I have absolutely no idea. A PMO, Project Management Office, to me, con- conveys absolutely nothing. Okay. Um, it's, it is, to some people, it's where all the documents live. You know, it's, to some people, it's that oversight committee that says whether or not your projects are being done the right way. I've just, a few weeks ago, I was in the PMO Impact Summit, and I was on a panel with a group of people, Laura Barnard and a few other people, and we were discussing this very topic, and we want to rename it. So we were going to rename it the Strategic Delivery Office. Because, An SDO, okay. Yes, because when, and we have various versions of that name, but the, the key thing was that it was about strategy and actually achieving outcomes because that's when this organization, this this sort of subset of the organization is really powerful, is when they know, understand, and are aligned with the strategy of the business and help the business drive that strategy forward. And that title PMO just doesn't conjure that for me. And that is exactly why we like to ask this question is because there is such a, a, a varied understanding of what a PMO is. And it depends upon where you've worked and what your background is. So strategy delivery office, that is a much more indicative of what a PMO uh, is, is really designed to do. So I think you might be onto something there. That's, that's really uh, it's good insight into that. So let's set the stage for our conversation today. So let's say I am a PMO director. We're going to, we'll use PMO today, right? I'm a program manager. Maybe I have a number of project managers that are working for me. And I want to assess my team's strengths and weaknesses. So I just want to kind of get an idea of, you know, what people are good at, what they may need some help in. Where would I even start? Just go ask them what what they're good at and what they think that they need help with. What's the best approach there? So it is really great to have conversations with people. One of the challenges is that we're very often the last to know what our strengths are. So I work in particular with strengths of character. There are many different kinds of strengths. So your skill set is your strength, your passions are your strengths, your values, their strengths as well. Talents are strengths, you know, that natural tendency to be able to do certain things. Um, my recommendation, though, is always to go in search of your own first because it's safe. It can be private if that's how you want it to be. Yeah. And as you learn to observe your own, 70% of people are strengths blind, as we call it. And the chances are we're part of that 70%. So if we start with ourselves and really articulate what are our strengths, what skills do we bring, um, then we're better able to coax that out of other people, introduce them to what we see, and and really start to recognize what the strengths are when we see them. Okay. So you you basically, you say start with, your, start with yourself, right? I mean, the whole eat your own dog food, you know, <laughs> uh, idea, right? So start with yourself, and then um, once you've gone through that, you could you could extend that to your team, right? And kind of tell them what that process is, what your experience of it has been. Now, what are, do you use a particular tool, or what are some of the tools that you've used over the years, perhaps? Yes, yeah, so my I, I a lot of people have heard of Clifton Strengths Finder, and I am a certified Clifton Strengths Coach. One of the one of the things that is good and sometimes a challenge with that assessment is that it is very much workplace focused. Um, So I generally work with a tool that comes from the VIA Institute on Character and in full disclosure, 
after I discovered the tool, I cyberstalked them until they gave me a job and I did work <laughs> with, with them for several years because I loved the tool so much and I wanted to contribute to it, but also understand it. It's the basic survey is free and it's a survey of character strengths that have been identified through research as being universally applicable. So it doesn't matter who you are, where you are, what your culture is, what your religion is, what your language is. These 24 strengths are recognized universally as being positive attributes. And once you've taken that assessment for yourself, first of all, you have a list with all the descriptions of what the strengths yeah. are, and you can go around and start seeing those in the behavior of other people you know, and start spotting that. So that tool, because it's so readily available and it's universally applicable, both in terms of people and the domains we're in, it applies at home, it applies in school, you know, wherever you are. Um, I found that tool to be very effective and I've, okay. I've used it now on thousands of people. So. And you said that there's a free version, right? So yeah. where, where would even anybody go get more information about that? Is there a, a site? If you, you go, go to the, if you go to via character, V I a character, okay. or one word.org. Okay. And you'll see there's a, a, a piece there that says, you know, there's like a, a notice at the top that says take a free survey. You take the survey and as soon as you've completed, it, it takes about 15 or 20 minutes in your first language. And, um, as soon as you've completed it, you get your ranked list of 24 strengths. There's more in-depth stuff that you can get, but the, the ranked list is the free piece. Perfect. Okay. Well, that's good. And then, uh, you know, I assume you can go into a much deeper dive if you, yeah. if you would like to, but it's a good start. So that's yeah. great. So via character.org uh, would be a good place to go to, to get that survey of character strengths. So what, uh, you know, and there's been, like you mentioned, there's many other tools that others have used. And, and at some point, you know, what a manager may end up with is that list of strengths and maybe that list of weaknesses or maybe those areas that they aren't quite as strong in. And so what some managers will do is they're going to start immediately tackling those weaknesses, uh -huh. right? They're going to like, oh, well, well, let's get rid of this. You know, this is a problem area. So let's, let's make that person better in that area. From your observations, is that the best path to go down? It's a path to go down. And, and certainly in the workplace, when there are gaps, especially skill gaps between the person's role and, and what they need to, to be effective in that role, you want to do something about it. The challenge is that if we focus always on what we're perceiving as weaknesses or gaps, it's demoralizing. And one of the things that we find with the, so there's, there's multiple, multiple, over 700 studies have been on, done on the character strengths. Many of those studies have shown that while it is effective to look at the lesser strengths, and this particular assessment doesn't measure weaknesses, it's measuring the relative intensity of each of the strengths. So your lesser strengths, you still have them, you still have access to them, they're just not quite so readily available. Right. Um, there's research that shows that working on those can absolutely be beneficial, but there's just as much research that shows that honing your use of your top strengths so that you use just the right amount in each situation is as effective, if not more effective. And because they're your top strengths, we call them signature strengths because they're core to us, they're essential, and, and really very often they feel almost effortless to engage them. We're going to be much more motivated to work with those top strengths and hone them and perfect them than we are to work on something that's kind of tiring and a bit of a drag. And then there's lots of opportunities from there to use your top strengths to kind of what we call toe the lesser strengths 
you know, and once people get motivated, very often they're like, you know what, this is great. And I, I, I really love what I'm doing with my top strengths. But I think I am going to work on that, that one that's towards the bottom because I think it would be useful. And they elect to do it instead of being told to do it. And the word, did you, did you use the word toe, like T-O-W? Oh, like T-O-W. Toe? Okay. Toe, All right. Yeah. So that's you good. So basically, yeah. So your, 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 your strengths increase and then those just kind of come along with it, right? Yes. You just, you kind of drag it behind it. So, yeah, because I mean, uh, for example, if you're high in creativity, which is one of the character strengths, and you want to increase your sense of enthusiasm and zest, well, you, you can use your creativity to come up with ways of making it easier to be enthusiastic about stuff, right? Yeah, um, yeah. If you're curious, then you could, and picking that same one of that zest, enthusiasm, you want to boost that. You can use your curiosity to research what people have found out about it. You can use your curiosity to see what other practices there are to cultivate that sense of enthusiasm. How do you build that up? And it's, it's true of all of the strengths is you can use your top strengths to, to aid your path in building the lesser ones. Yeah, it's great. And like you're saying, it prevents demoralization. You know, that's mm-hmm. the last thing that we want to do with our team is, is bring them down and uh, demoralize them and, and not feel, feel good about what they're doing. And some people worry that if you're too complimented, it has to be genuine, it has to be sincere. So when you see a strength being used, you know, you want to be able to point to the behavior. And that's the thing. Once you have the list of strengths, I encourage people to spot one person, one strength, you know, once a day. So it might be in a meeting or something like that, that you just see this behavior and you go, oh, you know what, that seems like love of learning to me, or that seems like honesty, or that they were very forthright in how they tackled that right you go to them afterwards and say this is what i saw and this is the strength that made me think of and this is why i appreciate it and they start to become aware even if that's not one of their top strengths of how they're engaging their strengths very simple and it kind of ripples you really don't if you can give the assessment to everyone that's absolutely fantastic and i was in one job where as a project manager i was able to do that um very often that's not an option because You'd need HR behind it and all of that kind of stuff. There's nothing to stop you spotting them once you're a little bit familiar with them. Yeah. Catch them doing something right. Mm-hmm. You know, that's, exactly. that's what it comes down to. And that's, that's a great practice right there. Um, now, you, you had told me about a story I had not heard of about the animal school. And I yes. thought that this was just such a, um, I thought this was such a um, just telling story that kind of speaks to what we're talking about right now. You want to share that? Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for asking about that. Yeah, The Animal Schools by George Rivas. He was a school superintendent in the 1940s. And he wrote this piece to communicate to people how it was that our school system was kind of focusing on the wrong things. And, And he talks about these animals in the forest who want to set up a school for all the animals together. And they come together and they plan it out. And they decide that flying, swimming and climbing are going to be the three skills that everyone has to learn. And they've got everything from an, uh, an owl to rabbits to um, other kinds of birds to squirrels, all sorts of things are in this animal school. And what they find is that some of the animals really struggle, like the rabbits, for example, when they have to learn to swim, it does their fur in, their fur starts coming out and they get dry patches on their skin and they're very uncomfortable and they don't like it. They don't like being in the pool. And what the teachers do is they actually make them do more swimming in order to get used to it. And they cut down on the hopping and the running 
because the bunnies are already good at that, right? They're good hoppers and runners. But that's what they enjoy doing. So they're now doing something that is uncomfortable and unpleasant and a challenge. The the hawk and the owl, they don't like climbing trees. They like to fly to the top. And they're told, okay, no more flying for you until you've mastered this climbing thing because (laughs) you have to be able to climb. And they're, you know, and again, they're frustrated because that flying and swooping and all of that, that's what they love to do. And now they're being told that they've got to go up using their, you know, their feet and that's not comfortable. And so what George Rebus was saying is that we need to encourage people to use the things that they're naturally good at that are core to them before we jump into and here's some other skills that maybe you want to learn. Great story. And, you know, I mean, it just ties in perfectly because you think about what, what does a project manager need to know? They need to know flying, swimming, climbing, right? They need to know planning, budgeting, communicating, motivating, escalating, whatever it is. And that could be intimidating to, to be able to have to do all of those things or to excel in all of those things. And they just may not be strong in everything. So that's a really good example of, you know, just really Focus on those things that you do very well. But what do we do about the, the weaknesses? Uh, do we just ignore them? Do we just pretend they're not there? What, what could we do in those areas? One of my, <clears throat> it's always an option to build your capacity in, in those areas that are more difficult and more challenging. A great option, though, is collaboration. There's probably someone else around you who has complementary yeah skills or character strengths or whatever it might be. And and I did do an informal study of project managers a few years ago around the character strengths to see whether there were any patterns in what show up in in project managers as opposed to the rest of the world. Uh, One thing that was a little disconcerting is we tend to be lower in social intelligence, but that's probably a discussion for another day. Hmm. But one of the things I did find is that I started to see a pattern that project managers kind of split between those who like that planning, prep, budgeting, feel good about doing that. They're really good at it and they're really focused on it. And But they're not necessarily very comfortable when it comes to execution and making it happen. Not yeah. that they can't do it, but it's not the, the comfort zone for them. And then there are other people like me who are executors. Give me a decent plan and I will make it happen. Yeah, I can put a plan together. I mean, I wouldn't be much of a project manager if I just couldn't put a plan together, but it's not my, it's not what really excites me and it's not really what I am best at. It's getting stuff done is what I'm best at. And so that, you know, finding your complement in whether it be having someone as a mentor or peer coach or something like that, even if you have to take on the entire role, consult with someone whose natural propensity is to do the other piece. Yeah. And that's, that's interesting because you divide it really into the really planning and executing, right? And then of course, close out, closing out the projects. That's a whole other story, right? Where we do these closeouts, we do this analysis of what went wrong. Very often we can't remember because, you know, we've done it too late unless you're doing it in sprints and um, we file it away under, you know, we did the, what used to be called post-mortem and now at least it's called a retrospective. And then nothing happens with that. If you've got someone who's very, very interested in closeout and learning lessons and continuous improvement, they will take those learnings and then actually recommend changes that mean we don't have to repeat those mistakes in the next project. So there's also that piece when execution is tailing off and you're wrapping up the project. Part of that is handoff to whoever's going to own the output of the project. Some of that is the integration with 
change management. And, and so there's that piece as well, that some project managers really love that transition piece and are really motivated by that. Uh, and it's a very important piece that we often don't do well. It's almost like there could be, you know, if, if, if your PMO was staffed that way, you can almost have an assembly line, you know, mm-hmm. with, with those that specialize in the planning, those that specialize in, you know, the middle of the project, which is all about execution. And, mm-hmm. and then those that, that focus on the closeout activities. And, in, and as you were talking about that, I was thinking, you know, you're right. Those lessons learned, they, they typically just kind of fall to the wayside. But that unto itself could be turned into a project that you put mm-hmm. back into the middle and and execute, and then you you get it done. So you know there's a lot of there's a lot of value in in playing to people's strengths that they're able to do and and uh, get those things done there. And we see actually in going back to the character strengths that I use a lot, um, there was some research done into team roles, and there are seven team roles that stand out. They're not functional roles; they're things like influencer. Um, implementer, the, the ideas person at the beginning. So, you know, the idea creator, the decision maker, the relationship manager. So there's these seven roles and certain strengths seem to align very strongly with each of the roles. Um, and so, you know, that person at the beginning who loves to do the research and the checking and create the, the prototype and all of that, they're not necessarily your resource for actually building out the final thing and managing relationships with people who are going to have to take that thing and run with it. You know, so beyond the project management piece, who are your resources in the team and who plays well at the different phases of those projects and who's, who really feels comfortable in each of those roles within the project? Because there's the, the, the sort of communication with the people outside the project and then there's the stuff that gets done within the project. Those are yep. different skill sets again and different interests yeah. and different strengths. Absolutely. And I'm going to go back to the word demotivator that we talked about earlier, because I can see now that uh, your book is the opposite of that, be a project <laughs> motivator, um, which really I understand as we've had this conversation makes a lot of sense of why you would name it that way. So what's the premise of this book? Where can people get us? Tell us a little bit about uh, be a project motivator. So the book, the premise of the book is um, Maggie is a program manager and the book is based on my 25 years of program and project management experience, the different things I learned with different teams. Yep. And, um, and it's kind of, there's a how-to, but it's also the, the actual application of character strengths and really connecting in with what makes people want to do what they do, you know, what yep. makes people want to show up and work. And a lot of it is based on a, a project that I had the privilege to manage a few years ago where the the our entire program, we were a program within a portfolio of programs um, on an enterprise project and the, or an enterprise program. And when I first joined the team, everyone, including the team themselves, had this sense that they were just kind of the people in the way, you know, as they, they were the obstacle to overcome, stuff yeah. wasn't getting turned around fast enough and all of this. And, and we very consciously played to our strengths and turned that, image around so that we became the solution providers and the book is a lot of what's in the book is based on that and other teams like that that I've worked with of changing that position changing the motivation getting people to see the value in each other within the team so that then as a team they can say all right this is this is us and this is what we can do and we have these abilities and use us and we have an opinion on this and we can guide this and 
uh, one of our colleagues at the organization where I worked described our team as having a kind of force field around us so that whatever <laughs> stuff was flying around, it just kind of bounced off. <laughs> you know, we, were, we always seemed to be able to keep putting one foot in front of the other when other people were feeling overwhelmed. So, so you transitioned that team from, you said, from being an obstacle to everything to becoming the solution to everything. Well, I want to say we transitioned the team because it was very much a collaborative effort. Um, it's a very large team in multiple locations. And yeah, we even um, we even started kind of advertising ourselves as well. So, um, but yes, it was this transition from a, they were a team who'd had, I was the fourth program manager in two years. Hmm. So they'd had a lot of people showing up and saying, okay, here's my vision for how this program is going to work, you know, and it's a, another PowerPoint and everything. Um, and we just really, really focused on who are you people and what do you know and what's your skill set and what's working and what would you do differently and how would you do it differently and leverage their strengths and wisdom to change the dynamic of the program. And it was, um, it was pretty amazing to see what they could all do when they were given the space to do it. That's great. And this is, what all, this is what's really all in this book, Be a Project Motivator. Yeah, that one. And then there's a couple of other big programs that I was on where we learned a lot about communication and the variety of communication. The one size fits all doesn't work. We had all sorts of different ways of communicating information to different members of the team. So there's a big focus on that as well. And, and then there's just this discovering your strengths, seeing strengths in other people, and also tackling the issue of when strengths go wrong. You know, they're great. But yeah. coming back to that, honing our top strengths, we can have a tendency to overuse the top strength. And so really being sensitive to how our strength is landing on someone else or a group of people is really hones our ability to use the strengths effectively. I'm a great curiosity overuser in stressful situations. You know, lots and lots of questions because it makes me feel more comfortable. To right. other people, they feel like they're pinned against the wall you know, with the swinging spotlight. <laughs> being grilled about something so um yeah so learning those things as well there's there's all those different things in the book and i have a linkedin learning program as well called be a project motivator that's actually just been awarded technical pdus so nice very yeah. good Same where time. can people get a hold of this uh, where can people get a hold of the book so the book is, um, you can get it on Amazon, you can get it on Barnes & Noble. It's published by Berit Kohler. So you can also go to the Berit Kohler website and get the book directly from them, especially if you want to buy more than a few copies for a group or for a team or something, going to Berit Kohler and doing it directly with them, uh, you can get discounts and stuff. So. Okay, excellent. And if people wanted to get in touch with you uh, personally, what's the best way to, to reach out to you or contact you? So you can email me at ruthpierce at projectmotivator.com. I'm on LinkedIn and I'm always happy to connect with people and message on LinkedIn all the time. And you can go to the website, which is projectmotivator.com. Excellent. All right. Well, Ruth, we enjoyed uh, this conversation today and, you know, I'm just kind of reflecting on what we talked about and the great practice that I'm walking away with from today's conversation is, is really just focus on people's strengths. You know, we can, uh, we can understand that there's going to be those areas that they're going to be less skillful at, 
but focusing on the strengths. I love the word that you use that, that it will tow the other ones along, mm-hmm. you know? So, I mean, it's like that whole person, if that person just gets better and their skills get better, then really everything kind of goes along with that. And I think that that's really, I think that's really true. And it's, that's not going to happen if you focus on the weaknesses, is it? Mm-hmm you know, by, by any stretch. Yeah. And people often ask, you know, specifically what are the benefits? The research shows that when we engage people through their strengths, they're more engaged, they're less likely to make errors, they're more productive, there's less absenteeism, they're more dependable all around, they're less likely to leave the organization. So there's a lot of, of researched benefits beyond just that, what might sound like feel good stuff that, you know, can put yep. people off. Yep. It's a no brainer. So all right. Well, we appreciate your time and uh, we encourage everybody to, to get your book and uh, connect with you and learn more about what you got going on. All right. Thanks very much, Chris. It was great to be here. Well, that was a great conversation with Ruth and we appreciate her being on the show today. Here's some of the great practices that I'm taking away from this episode. First, focus on strengths rather than weaknesses. Focusing on weaknesses is demoralizing. Focusing on strengths is inspiring. Caveat, need to have the basic skills to do the job. But if the person does, we really want to focus on their strengths. Number two was realize that weaknesses can be towed behind strengths. As strengths improve, weaknesses will also become less weak. That's the idea of a rising tide lifting all boats. And I like the way that she said that one way that this can be done is through collaboration. So maybe we partner a team member that's weak in one area with someone who excels in that area and have them help each other out. And finally, don't teach rabbits how to swim or owls how to climb trees. What a great story that got the lesson across. Find what people are naturally good at and interested and the results will follow. And let's always remember the purpose of a PMO. More than anything, it's a strategy delivery office that delivers value to the business. So a lot of great practices came out of this episode today. And as always, if you have a great practice that you'd like to share, uh, you'd like to be on a future episode, go to thepmoleader.com, thepmoleader.com, click on community, and then great practices You'll see a form at the bottom to fill out, and we'll get back with you soon to discuss any ideas you may have. So thanks for listening to this episode, and keep putting great practices into practice.